Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. Dan the Fitness Man here. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts, so I just always have to say thank you for tuning into this one. I appreciate you. Let's get into today's guest, Steve Flores out of West Virginia. He is a self-proclaimed hillbilly, but not really, man. He's he's a well-educated, longtime bow hunter, longtime outdoor rider. He's probably best known for his mountain bucks that he kills in those big hills and draws of West Virginia. He's a public land hunter, but he also has elk hunted for the first time three or four years in a row now. And so he just talks about that learning curve. He's killed a bull. He's had some ups. He's had some downs. The logistics it takes to come out west from living in West Virginia, the sacrifices, where he's at on hunting. We talk about social media, the good, the bad. We talk about faith and how the mountains can kind of resurrect your faith and staying true to yourself we just cover a lot of cool different stuff and he's the real deal it's an interesting flow of conversation i talk real fast i'm pretty hyper he's the polar opposite he talks pretty slow and he's chill we also recorded this podcast late and he's three hours ahead of me so he stayed up super late so i just want to thank steve for doing that he's a great dude If you've never heard of him, look him up on Instagram or find some of his articles. I'll post a few links in the show notes. Let's get into a couple things on business and then let's get to it. So got the VXR in the mail yesterday on launch day for Matthews. Pretty stoked. I haven't set it up yet. We'll film an entire YouTube series on that on YouTube Elk Shape. 
and just how we're going to build that. I need a bow press in my office. I'd already start building it, but um, I usually have strings made for all my bows right away. Strings are one of those things I just, I can't have any stretch. Not that Matthew's, you know, factory strings aren't great, but I just trust the ones down the street at my local archery shop. They use those BC, BCY, I think it's 52X, just unbelievable. And that's just what I need. So I have them making the strings and they'll be done and I'm going to jam in there and set that bow up completely. And I know some people really dig those videos, so we'll do it from top to bottom. And again, I'm going to try to do it all myself with a little bit of coaching from my buddy Josh Jones, Spokane Valley Archery. Can't wait. Hopefully you are in a tree stand or chasing ready mule deer or getting yourself ready for elk season 2020, doing some research, planning, scheming, phone calls, research, you name it. It starts now. It starts yesterday and stay on it. 90 Days to Freedom is a workout program I'm working on right now. I'm kind of lab ratting it right now. I'm putting myself through it, trying to create several different ways to tackle each day, whether you're in a home gym, like a garage gym, or if you're at a global gym, or for, heck, if you're even at a CrossFit gym, you can do all the workouts that I'm doing with very little equipment. We're talking like sandbag and dumbbells. That's it. So we're working on that, and then we're planning our 2020 camps, trying to get registration open for all six. Currently, registration is open for three. And so what we're going to do there is get as many people that are ready for some life-changing weekend stuff the Spokane one has a few spots left. Use the discount code FLASH, that's all caps, F-L-A-S-H, and you can knock 100 bucks off early bird pricing. And that camp is so stacked because it's in my backyard. I got a, some really good subject matter experts. We are going to go through the shot IQ process, controlled shooting, and elk calling with Joel Turner, all the backcountry stuff from the killer Ryan Lampers, and then you're going to be at my home archery shop going through technical setup and just shooting under duress. You'll go to my the gym I used to own, and it's going to be awesome. So I need that camp sold out because I want to crush 20 guys and just elevate. So the other places is Oregon. That registration is open, and Colorado is open. Links are on elkshape.com. Coming soon would be the two Texas camps and the Wisconsin camp, and that'll put us and the Vancouver, Washington one. So we're going to have an exciting year, and 2021, we're already planning to get to the East Coast, Missouri, Pennsylvania. I'm excited. Uh, I don't think I ever want to do more than six camps. I want it to always feel like it's uh, exciting and uh, it can keep it fresh, and I love meeting other bow hunters. That's the most exciting part for me, and I, I hope you can get to a camp. I think we can really do something for you and try to keep the price as low as possible. Obviously, I got to rent facilities and pay subject matter experts and make a living off this too. So there's an expense, but I think it's more of an investment. You're investing in yourself the end. So just to recap, we got the 90 days to freedom coming up in January. Currently, we have 21 days to elk shape. We got the transformation food plan and the ebook online. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, that's how you can do that. The last thing I'm going to ask is that I want to give away five elk shape performance hoodies. These are the hoodies you wear while you're working out. You peel them off right before you do conditioning. They're awesome. I'm going to give five away to whoever goes to iTunes and gives us an awesome review and write down whatever you need to write. I will look that up next week. I'll pick five. I'm going to send those out. I'll put it on uh, social as I ship those out, and that's my thank you. I need to get some more reviews there, and that's how I'm going to push for a little reward, a little carrot for you to take some time out of your day to do that. 
Thanks again for listening. Let's dive in with Steve Flores. Have the best week ever. Make it happen for yourself. Stay focused on those small goals that lead to the big ones. Here we go. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. I am recording with Steve Flores. He is one ambitious East Coast hunter, bow hunter specifically, and a dude who's been in the hunting industry. He's written many, many, many articles, and we're going to catch up with him today. He just got back from hunting, I believe, Idaho, and he travels a long ways for elk, and I like that. So, Steve, how are you tonight, man? Oh, I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm 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 a little tired. Been running around all day, but <laughs> I bet yeah, I didn't. You, you stay busy. We all do, man. So you first and foremost, you're a family guy. What do you got for family? And then I believe you're an educator. What do you do for work? Uh, I'm a phys ed teacher. I teach at a uh, middle school, um, six through eight grades. I've got three kids, two boys, and a little girl. I've been married uh, to my wife Jessica for 20 years. It's doing everything's going good. That's awesome, man. I and you've you've been a writer in the outdoor industry for as long as I can remember. Magazines, yeah. and then when those kind of died off, you were still pumping out stuff like at bowhunting.com and all. Where? How many articles have you written? Oh gosh, I really don't know, Dan. A lot. Um, <clears throat> yeah, a lot. I mean, I've been I've been doing it for over 10 years. Um, the past few years has kind of slowed down a little bit. I, I got more involved uh, with my my two boys and the, their sports and their activities. And it seemed like that was taking a lot of my time. Um, so the, the, the magazine articles kind of dwindled a little bit, but I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm ready to get back into it and start pumping out some, some content again. Uh, yeah, I did, I did a lot of stuff for, for bowhunting.com back in the day and wrote a lot of just content online. But my favorite was magazine articles. I really enjoyed that. I mean, it's, there's just something about the magazines. You can pick them up and feel them and, you know, leave them there and open them up and put them on your table and you see it when you walk by. I just grew up with magazines, so I guess I got a soft spot for them. <laughs> yeah, it's no, so do I. Do you still get any magazines? Yeah, I get uh, Bowhunting World and Peterson's. Yeah, I mean, I think those are really the only two that's that's left. Uh, I know North American Whitetail, I, I I get those some, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, they're getting few and far between. I get um, Western Hunter. They still mm-hmm. pump out a pretty good one, and I think that's about it. Backcountry Hunters and Angler sends out, I think, something quarterly, but that's about it. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I hate to see it. I mean, I hate to see it happen. I mean, I know it's inevitable and, you know, the technology and everything, and these kids are growing up different than, than you and I, and they, they see everything on a phone, and that's cool for them. You know, but uh, I, I really hate to see the magazines go away. Yeah, it was kind of cool. And I've talked about this before. We're like, unless you got a text picture, you didn't know who was successful, who shot the big buck or big bull. Um, and then you would just be like, oh, you know, I used to love uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal a long yeah. time ago. I used to get like, I might have got it when it very first came out. I got some really old issues. Um, just love it but uh yeah i like magazines still i just don't really i don't know if they even i mean they got to be struggling with circulation as well as if circulation goes down then i mean marketing goes down and i know a lot of people have cut their print media budgets and probably turned it all over to digital and i get it yeah yeah but we got podcasts now man and (laughs) yeah you really get to know people and, and learn some, some pretty cool stuff. So we hope to learn from you tonight. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about elk hunting. 
and what it's like coming sure. from the East Coast and, you know, just going for it and all the logistics and planning year-round prep. And it wouldn't be a conversation without talking about public land mountain bucks with you, whitetails. So we'll do that and sure. in, and anything else you're seeing. And so let's start with when did you get into bow hunting? I don't even know that the answer to that. Oh, gosh. I, I was bow hunting whenever I was probably middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't didn't uh, punch a tag until I was in college. I mean, it was just, you know, it was really, really hard. My dad, you know, nothing against him, but he didn't grow up hunting. So when he came here to West Virginia with my mother, uh, he was, he got into hunting. So I didn't really have someone there to teach me and say, Hey, this is how you do it. He was willing to do, you know, take me, give me what I needed, but he couldn't really teach me anything about it. So I was really just had to teach myself and learn by trial and error. And I made a lot of errors. (laughs) So yeah, it took a long time before I was even successful with a bow. But I can still remember that that first uh, that first bow kill. It was a, a fairly small doe, and I had skipped class in college one evening to go <laughs> to go hunt. <laughs> and uh, man, I just once I once I tasted a little bit of success with the bow, I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it. And uh, here it is, you know, thirty some odd years later, and I'm still doing it. How many times have you gone out and elk hunted? you know, west of the Mississippi? Um, this this year made my third year I'd been to Idaho. The first year I, uh, I choked and missed a big herd bull. Uh, I actually shot, put my arrow right through his antlers. <laughs> then the second year I killed a bull. And then I, I missed a year. And then this year, this past year I went. Uh, this year was a rough year. I didn't even, uh, didn't even come close to pulling my bow back. Really? But Yeah. But, you know, the thing about elk hunting for me, I can do that and go out there and spend all that time and prep and all this effort that goes into elk hunting and go out west and never come close to pulling my bow back and still have a great time. Yes. There's there's just so much there's just so much for my eyes to soak in every time I go out there. It's just it's stuff that I don't see every day here in West Virginia, obviously, but it's just I can't I you know, I spend hours every day just looking at at mountains or, or, you know, whatever. It's just, you don't really have to kill to have a good time out West. That's for sure. All right, man. So how did you settle in on Idaho? Do you know somebody or did you literally do all your research yourself? (laughs) Like how did that come about? Well, I got lucky. I I have a friend, uh, Marcus Flesher. He was, he actually used to be in the industry at one time. He worked with, uh, Black's Creek backpacks. And that's actually how I met Marcus years ago i was using uh black's creek stuff and and uh, so i had I'd communicated with marcus a little bit and i decided to step away from from black's creek and, and try some other things in, in the backpack category and uh, instead of just leaving i called marcus and, and and told him what you know what i was doing and you know thanked him for everything and that kind of stuck with him so fast forward to four years ago and i i just posted something on instagram about not having an elk and you know the only elk i had was you know a target where everybody else was posting pictures of, of real elk and so marcus called me up he's like hey dude you want you know you want to come out here I'll, I'll help you kill an elk i was like sure so i got really lucky and blessed that i had a you know a friend and a contact out there that lived out there knows the places knows the terrain basically really all i had to do is just get myself out there 
and then you know not shoot through the antlers of, of, a, of a bull but yeah that, that's how that came about well i think that's great that you had somebody connected um put yourself in the shoes of some guys listening maybe on the east coast midwest you know seems like most of my friends are out west you know that's who i yeah that's who i associate with but i got nothing but love for anyone who wants to come over and shake a stick at chasing bugles because it's pretty awesome honestly it's it's what fires oh, yeah. me up. It's what gets me out of bed every day. Besides faith from family, I got elk hunting, man. And yeah. <laughs> it's what fires me. So let's talk about that. Like, okay, you're in the shoes of a guy listening right now. Where do you start? Like, what options are there for just straight up over-the-counter tags that they can get at Walmart and go cut their teeth on public land? Oh, there are several places in Idaho that just over the counter. I mean, I know that I know the area that I hunt is is over the counter. It's no draw. There's a lot, and I've got a friend that, that actually went the uh, the second year I went. He was going to with another guy. We were we were all hunting in Idaho, but we weren't hunting together. And uh, they had a contact out there that basically just told them, "Hey, here, this is where you get, need to go. There's elk in there." And they took off and went, and they had both actually killed elk in two days and uh, in the span of two days the three of us had elk down but um yeah there's i i don't know the specific areas uh that are over the counter but i know there's a lot of places that that you can go that you don't you don't have to wait for a draw to get a tag and and all that stuff i think the key is being willing to go further than the next guy to really get into some good elk elk country yeah you definitely will learn that right out the gates that's why mm-hmm. Uh, fitness is such a large part of our curriculum at Elk Shape Camps is because, quite honestly, you need to work to get away from hunters. Finding elk's not hard, but finding elk that want to play ball, that's mm-hmm. gonna that's a prerequisite. And I think if you can be fit, but also know how to kind of stay in the backcountry and, mm-hmm. and hang out and be comfortable, mm-hmm. you're not going to waste a lot of currency hiking back and forth to the truck or what have you or um, yeah. let's talk about the general area of idaho you're hunting is it more and we can be really general steve but uh like are you hunting the southeast area central or northern idaho mostly southeast okay so pretty yeah, open side. open country you binos do you can actually use binoculars yeah yeah we and we use spotting scopes and and we'll we'll uh try to spot some elk and you know from down low look you know looking up at them and then try to figure out where they're going to be the next that evening or the next morning and then you know move in and and either stay a night or two on the mountain if we have to or we can come back to the to the base camp you know it's going back and forth to base camp every day will wear you out amen it, it really is, will it is a grind and i hit my wall this year you know the what the first two years i went the weather got knocked us out after about day three, and I didn't get to hunt anymore. Uh, you know, the, the, the day after I missed that bull, the weather set in, and we couldn't get it. You know, it was so foggy, we didn't get out of the tent for three days. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, I went back. I hunted for 15 minutes and killed my bull. Um, but this year, we was it was a grind, and I hit my wall on about day six, and I knew I felt it coming, and I thought, man, I you know, this is it. I can't do this anymore. And uh, Actually, the last two days, I think uh, I, I stayed at base camp. Marcus and his his son Wyatt went out, and I just I couldn't do it. It will it will physically beat you down. That's for sure. No doubt. And then 
we talked about this on uh, the last podcast, but when you hike that far away from your truck, at some point there's like a voice inside your head that's like, you do some math and you're like, okay, I probably should better start working my way out because I got mm-hmm. four miles to get to the truck and it's going to take me a couple hours uh, versus you're probably in an area where the elk are there and if you stayed till the last good solid 10 mm-hmm. minutes of shooting, legal shooting light, your odds go up. But then you are going to hike two hours minimum back to your truck, drive your truck to wherever the said in base the dark. in the dark, yeah. drive your truck back to base camp, make a quick dinner, get your gear yeah. ready, you're back up in the morning, and then you got to drive your truck, get out, hike back in, or hike to the other. I mean, it's it's just not yeah. economical. And I even run against that in some of my like hometown hunts. I mean, I got to decide, do I want to sleep in a warm, cozy cabin? Well, that's a two-hour hike and sometimes up to a two-hour drive to get a mm-hmm. shower. Mm-hmm. But then I got to, I'm an elk. I want to come back to the same general area and hit a different finger or a different <clears> ridge. It's just like, oh, yeah. You know, that's why people don't believe me, but like there are a lot of days where you just get like four or five hours of sleep at most, and that's what oh, you yeah. get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Personally, I would rather stay on the mountain. I mean, uh, you know, it, it does, it does, st- it really hurts my back, you know, sleeping in a tent like that, but it's, you know, Going back and forth, it, I would rather stay on the mountain any day of the week. It, it, it's just, you save a lot of energy, burn a lot less calories. Like you said, most importantly, you, you, you get in an area where you're in the elk, but then the the need to get back to your camp or your truck starts pulling on you. And then, it, you know, it's, it's almost like as soon as you get to the, to the good stuff, you got to turn around and go back. So you're kind of just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's not a good way to stay on elk and i'm no elk expert by any means but i'm smart enough to know you've had some success and well i'm smart enough to know that if you know you're in in the elk and you leave the last two hours of daylight you're missing some good stuff yeah and it will add up it is a cumulative Mm -hmm. effect so your buddy that took you did you go into his spots or did you guys just kind of go into a new area that that you both were discovering no he took me to, to spots that he had hunted before you know, like I said, I was really, most guys, that's a situation that most guys aren't going to find themselves in, you know, and like I said, I was blessed to have that, and and Marcus knew these areas. They were tough to get to, though. I mean, it was, you know, some of the areas we hiked into were really tough. We're getting to the point now where we're going to start branching out into some areas where he hasn't been. It's still in the same vicinity of where we're at, but it's just deeper, um, deeper into the timber and over over different mountains. So planning on staying two or three nights, three four nights on the mountain, which you know that that I like that the sound of that and going and and getting in the elk and staying in them. Yeah, and then as far as other options for OTC, you got Colorado. Obviously, have you stepped foot into Colorado? Oh, yeah, yeah I, it was a long time ago. I hunted one time in Colorado. Actually, I was do, doing some writing for a guy online and he invited me out so i went and uh saw one elk uh i missed it <laughs> but yeah i mean colorado i think the numbers in colorado you correct me if i'm wrong i mean they have a lot of elk the elk numbers are really high but uh i'm not i don't know that the size of them compares to other states which you know like it doesn't really matter to me i'm not uh after trophies just just an opportunity to go out west is, is good enough but 
you know, obviously, if you spend all that time and effort, you want to be in, in an area where you got the highest number of elk. Some guys, it may be, you know, one one and done. They get one shot at this, and then it's over. Or yeah. they don't get to go back. or Because there's just so much planning, and especially for somebody like me that lives all the way out on the East Coast, and just the logistics of getting everything together and getting there, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can uh, that can happen that can keep you from doing that. Well, there's not a lot of options really when it comes to over the counter. I'll In go Colorado. through. Well, I'll go through the states. I mean, so straight up, let's start with my state, Washington. They don't have a problem with like non-residents pouring into our state because we have a draw system where you absolutely have to buy a hunting license and tag just to mm-hmm. put in for our special units. Our special units are limited quota elk hunts or top shelf. Like we have some 400 inch bulls, but uh, yeah. you can't put in unless you're planning on hunting our state. And then they divide our state into two sections. Um, but we got tags, so you can mm-hmm. hunt Washington and you can try to find places. I think most people probably head to the West side because there's just the Cascades, bigger country, but yeah. no, there is over the counter hunting and there is over the counter hunting in Utah. People mm-hmm. don't know that, but yeah, you can get yeah. some general bull elk tags and some spike only tags and. Um, you're not going to hunt any limited entry stuff, but you can get to Utah. Oregon's another good state. I think that gets overlooked. They actually have mm-hmm. quite a few elk in Oregon if you compare them to, like, like for example, Oregon's got, I bet, almost double the elk that Washington State does. You'd have really? to fact check me, but I'm pretty sure, like, Oregon's just under Idaho. None of the states are even close to Colorado. Colorado's, I mean, they're pushing 300,000 elk. Yeah, I mean, they got a ton of elk. You know, that, that's... Uh... Yeah, their numbers are really high. And Utah's like, you know, seven figure or six figures as well. But Idaho, mm-hmm. I think people think Idaho's has got so many elk, but I really think those numbers, I'm not sure about those numbers, but Idaho's over 100,000 elk as well. But um, I think Oregon is a really good option. And I, you know, if you're listening and I'm saying your state, don't worry. None of <laughs> you, none of you experience hunting pressure like, like I would say you would in a Washington state hunt where you got Seattle right there and you go to a trailhead and there's like 24 trucks and trailers parked at a trailhead. Yeah. I've experienced that and I still got on elk, but it was, uh, it's just not what I want, but it, elk hunting's getting harder and harder. Um, but to recap, so I think Arizona's got some over the counter. Colorado mm-hmm. obviously is your number one call over the counter. Idaho is probably your number two. Oregon is a quiet number three. Utah's got some opportunities, and a good old Washington State's got some opportunities. But that's kind of like your main places to check out. And all the prices range, but they're all like probably at or around, I'd say somewhere between six and eight hundred dollars for your tag. Driving, you flew probably because you had a buddy there, right? Yeah, I flew. I flew every time. But what if you didn't? Like you'd have to actually load your truck, and now you got to tack on at least what thirty yeah. hours of driving in the front end and back. Yeah, it's. I think. Uh, it's 32 hours from from me to where uh, Marcus lives, and then we've got another six hour drive from his house to get to where we go. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a long haul. It's a two day drive. Given your three seasons in Idaho, what what time of the month has worked out the best for you, or have they all been pretty decent? About the first, about the second week of, of September. It's usually when when I go, and it's all, it's been good. It's been really good. Uh, like I said, this year was unusual. The elk just didn't want to play ball. 
I mean, they, they, they would half-heartedly bugle, and even when we got in on their cows and, and called at them, they, they kind of just, they, they just didn't want to fight. They didn't want to come in and didn't want to mix it up at all. I don't well, know. And they, uh-huh. there were several other guys that was out there that, that were going through the same thing, so I, I don't know what causes that or what, you know, why that happened. I'm not... I'm not uh, familiar enough with with elk behavior to, to understand why that might have happened, but maybe you maybe you can shed some light on that, or maybe you've heard the same thing that went on this year. I don't have a lot of light to shed, but I will say that if you look at my track record, this year was the first year I didn't kill an Idaho elk. I was very yeah, picky, I'm... but put that aside, there wasn't a lot of opportunities that are usually there, and every yeah. opportunity that I did uh, pass on. I had to almost manufacture through just like hard work. It wasn't, there was, there are usually, I mean, there's been a day in September where I've killed, I've punched both my Idaho tags in the same day. Wow. I've literally killed a bull, broke it down, packed it out, saw another bull, went over, killed him, both tags punched in a day. Like there was nothing like that. Like it was, I don't know. Now I know we had that full moon right around the 14th. Yeah, that was when I was out there, 14th. And I can tell you that there was no hot elk wherever. And I went to a lot of places, just nothing. Everything was like half-hearted bugles. That's Um, what it was. And I don't know. I don't want to blame the moon because I don't even care, Steve. Like I could give a shit less about what the moon's doing. Like I'm not that guy. Yeah. I know whitetail guys obviously are a little bit more i think all of us hunters are superstitious to some degree and there's some science mm-hmm. there but man i don't know what the deal was but um do you have a lot of wolves in your area i particularly do yeah. and yeah. i know that all the elk i've been hunting had at some point been messed with by wolves within the last week or two which doesn't help yeah yeah there, there's a lot of elk in that area and i don't know you know, we kind of thought maybe they they were just kind of shy about calling because they didn't want to, you know, alert the, the wolves. I don't know if that was – I have no idea, but they, it was definitely uh, a half-hearted uh, season for sure. Did you guys change tactics when you started figuring out that the elk aren't wanting to <clears throat> do what elk do? Uh, no, I mean, we just, you know, just kept trying to get on the cows and get as close as we could to the cows and – and you know start talking to the bulls and see if they would come in and they just they wouldn't you know they just wouldn't play ball Uh, the weather got us a few days and but you know it was just we just kept pounding the dirt man and just you know i trust marcus whatever he you know because he 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 typically kills every year all the time so i kind of just go with him and try to learn and pick up every you know anything i can from him but it just wasn't working this year. Dang, man. Do you, looking back at your season, is there anything that you would do differently, not only when it comes to a preparation standpoint, but as well as an actual hunting strategy or tactic or changing locations or changing zip codes? What do you, what do you think about, like, retrospect <clears throat> 2019? I, I probably would have trained harder. Um, I kind of think I think the two the first two years of of hunting, I thought I was what I was doing was preparing me enough. But uh, this year when – you know, I went six straight days of grinding. I realized that, hey, you know, you, you need to step up your game so you don't hit that wall. Maybe changing areas, you know, uh, going to a different spot or just maybe trying to go deeper into the timber maybe. But like I said, I, I'm, I'm no elk 
expert. Um, I try to just pick up what I can and I try to use the way I think about whitetails and what I would do kind of with elk or turkey. You know, it, it, it's, it's a lot like turkey hunting back here in the east. We chase these gobblers around in the mountains and it's like a 900 pound turkey. <laughs> Okay, so let's break down um, the fitness deal. Like, so if guys are listening and they're like, man, this guy teaches physical education. He probably educated on how to get physically fit. What do you think, all fluff put aside, what are some proven truths when it comes to, okay, I don't live at elevation. I'm going to be at elevation. What should folks do? to basically better prepare themselves for elevation and the mountains. I have strong legs and strong lungs. For me, what I did, what I've done for three years is just a weighted pack uh, workout movement. It, you know, I'm either climbing a, an actual mountain or I'm on a stair climber, something. But I put about 45 pounds in my backpack and I just get on a mountain or get on a, uh, a stair climber and go. And just bust it as hard as I can and work my way up. But the last three years, I've tried to hit a goal of climb, getting on the stair climber and staying on it for an hour with my weighted pack. And I and I don't start out like that with like that at the beginning. I mean, at first, you know, it might be 15 minutes, and I'll stay at 15 for a couple weeks or whatever, and bump it to 20 or 25. But my, I try to get to 60 minutes. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of craze about the fitness and hunting and lifting weights and running marathons and I get it. I mean, you know, I don't think you can be enough prepared for elk hunting. Um, but if your time is limited and you got to, you know, like most of us, you got a nine to five job, you're working 40 hours a week. A lot of guys work more than 40 hours and, and you really don't know what to concentrate on. Just do something that makes your legs and your lungs as strong as they can be. You know, having big biceps is nice. That's going to help you when you're breaking down that bull. But if, if you've got time to do all that, that's cool. But for me, I, I was kind of limited with my kids and they're in the, into all the sports and my job. I, I just tried to concentrate on building my legs and my lungs up as much, much, much as I could. Elevation never seemed to bother me uh, at all. I never seemed to have any effect from it. Maybe I did. I just didn't know it. But I can remember the first year I went to Colorado, I was running flat ground every day running as many miles as i could get stretching it out and then i went to colorado and it absolutely abused me did it yeah i mean it it and that was that was several years ago I, mean, I was a lot younger and i was in good shape and it abused me so when i got ready to start this this idaho trip the first year i i thought well i can't go that route because it didn't work so what am i going to do and i thought well you know i'm going to be i'm going to have a backpack on my back 90% of the day climbing with weight. So that's what I'm going to do. And I, I just, like I said, threw a plate in the back of my pack and threw some clothes in there and just kind of puffed it up, made it real big and heavy and just uh, married it for about four or five months. <laughs> that's you know, how I did it. I just saw that one of my buddies, I think his name, um, I think his, he was hunting in Colorado. His name's Scott Carr. Mm-hmm. He came to Elk Shape Camp uh, 2.0, which I was kind of surprised he came because I know he's killed elk. I also know mm-hmm. that he has won the Train to Hunt challenges, maybe a handful. Oh, wow. He's a really fit guy, mm-hmm. but he didn't used to be fit. He used to be a fat kid. He's older, mm-hmm. too. I think he's in his late 40s. Um, great dude. Love him to death. He, got, he was on an elk hunt, and he got sidelined and went to the hospital because he got altitude sickness. 
Wow. And this is a really fit guy. I watched him at Elk Shape Camp crush the challenge course. I mean, mm-hmm. crush it. The guy shot better than anybody as far as under duress. Uh, he maybe didn't have the best physical running skills, but he made up for it with his ability to shoot the high heart rate. and Just a mm-hmm. great dude, and it happened to him. And then for me, I killed my Wyoming bull like just uh, right around 10,000 feet, and I had got to Wyoming August 30th and mm-hmm. stayed the night and scouted and hiked double-digit miles on the 31st. And then on the 1st, that morning, about 3 a.m., about an hour before my alarm was going to go off, I woke up and I had that classic, like, tonic, dull headache. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you – and I had really pounded – I might have had a, too many beers the night before. I, I had a couple <laughs> IPAs, but that's nothing. That, that was nothing. I drank pretty good hydration levels, and I, I was like, oh, man, I'm getting altitude sickness. And so – forced myself to go to bed and I woke up at 4 a.m. and it was like everything I could do to make coffee and I Mm -hmm. couldn't eat breakfast and I was like going to take ibuprofen which I rarely do but I Mm -hmm. found some ibuprofen that I packed and I tried to eat a little bit of like my breakfast from you know off grid I had a little breakfast and I took a couple bites but I just I was nauseous so enough to take some ibis and I went hunting because it's opening day. And mm-hmm. then I felt like dog shit till like about 10. And those ibuprofens finally kicked in. And I kicked it. But that's not the first time that's happened to me. And I live at 2,200 feet in Spokane. Mm-hmm. And so I I think I killed my bull in Wyoming at 10,000 feet. And I've also killed another elk in New Mexico one time. Pushing almost 11,000 feet. It was like 10.5, 10.7. And mm-hmm. I've gotten that same like just headache lethargic and Mm -hmm. so in both times in top shape as good a shape as you can be yeah i mean if anybody's in top shape it's you i mean it's i can't imagine that well there's there's always somebody more fitter if you will but man i was in good shape and got it so anyone can get it and especially if you don't even live at elevation so Arriving early to your hunt is something to think about. Mm-hmm. And then having a backup plan because there isn't just elk at 8,000 plus feet only. You might yeah. have to hunt the lower elevations. Maybe there's less density and just work your way up the mountain and have a plan to back down or end up in the hospital like Scott Carr, one of the fittest guys I know. So yeah. that's something to think about. But yeah, backpack training, nothing beats it. And then as far as getting heart and lungs and just Mm -hmm. strong legs Mm -hmm. again that's why i always kind of go back to my crossfit principles like cross training high heart rate constant circuit training big compound movements your squats your deads things like that lunges and then the weighted pack stuff you can't go wrong and uh, you have to be consistent year round you can't just really ramp it up for a month ahead of time no no month is not going to a month a month of trying to get ready for an elk hunt's not going to do anything I, I, it's it's yeah i mean it's going to be better than showing up not not having done anything at all but yeah you need for me i need five months four to five months to really get to where i'm thinking okay i can handle this year-round fitness is even better i mean you know but if if, if I've got four or five months to get a pack on my back and just grind it all the time and, and pace myself and work my way up, it's really good for me. 
Yeah, one thing I've always appreciated about you is like you're a big believer in perfect practice with archery. I you mm-hmm. you're a guy who lives in West Virginia. You have yeah. a 3D elk target in your backyard. <laughs> you have you wear a backpack, your bino harness, and you always hunt with gloves on. So you shoot practice with gloves on. Do you like that? I know that about you, by the way. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's pretty cool. But yeah, most people, I don't think most guys catch that, but I, I never shoot a bow without my gloves. Yeah, and if you're going to, like, all of a sudden throw a face mask on because you're hunting elk mm-hmm. and you're not yeah. wearing face paint, like, you, I wouldn't do it personally because nope. I, don't, I don't ever practice with a face mask on. My Sika hoodie, my core lightweight hoodie, mm-hmm. I love having it over my head, but I don't practice with a core lightweight hoodie over my head, so I take that off anytime I'm in tight on animals. Because I don't like to do anything that I don't do in practice, which is why I try to keep my backpack on the porch. I keep my bino harness right next to my bow. I Mm -hmm. I shot today. I literally have to go through and I can't just go shoot my bow. I try to always make sure that I'm doing all this stuff. And even today, like I'm getting ready for a hunt and I'm like practicing on one knee, shooting from my knees. And it felt a I felt a little fish out of water. Honestly, I hadn't been doing enough reps like that so tomorrow dan is going to be practicing some funky on my butt sitting down <laughs> because i'm doing some spot and stock mule deer here soon and and yeah. uh you're just not going to be standing upright in a flat backyard like mine no. well i have no. a sh- i can shoot out to 100 in my backyard and mm-hmm. it does it's irrelevant if that all that gear's not on so i just appreciate that about you well let's gravitate towards whitetails a little bit and then let's go over some hunting industry stuff but whitetails for you you've kind of always been a public land mountain buck hunter and yes guys there's mountains in west virginia especially um take us through your learning curve on that and what and how that's evolved oh man it's been a it's been a a tough road um like i said I, i didn't have my dad didn't grow up in west virginia he didn't he didn't really have a, a blueprint to give me to say, Hey, this is how you do it. Um, so I really had to just learn on my own. Uh, it was tough. You know, I, I think the biggest thing for me was learning to be patient, learning to, to, to locate, find a good spot and then leaving it alone until the odds were in my favor that a, that a buck would actually be on his feet because you know, growing up, we would always go out, you know, the week before bow season, we'd scout, we'd find sign, and we'd get all amped up, and we'd go and, and hang stands and hunt and never really have any success. Uh, and if we did see bucks, they were small, you know, immature immature deer. They weren't the bucks that we were looking for. And then I, did, I just slowly learned that, you know, if I keep doing this it's, and it's not working, I've got to do something different. What I did was I started – doing the majority of my scouting right after the season ended uh, because it was easier for me to locate sign because obviously there's no leaves on the trees here in the summer you can't see anything here right in, in the woods i mean it's just it's just it's just it's just so full of leaves you can't see anything so i started doing my scouting right after the season um locating rubs and scrapes and and trails and and knowing where the bucks were going to be during game time uh because here you know everything changes 
<clears throat> food sources change in the summertime from from summer to you know late summer to the middle of october or even into november the leaves fall so the cover changes the deer start taking different routes uh to stay you know to stay hidden acorns start falling and that really jacks everything up uh, <laughs> you're not hunting food plots uh where you know the deer's bedding here and he's coming here to eat and you get in between i mean this this buck could be eating at any number of of oak trees that are dropping acorns and trying to find the the, the tree that he's going to eat on that evening when he gets up is nearly impossible so i kind of started i got to the to the point where i said okay and then i'm going to have to find a place that that only turns on during the rut for me i just i i locate a group of does move in you know try to find uh good pinch points using the terrain to actually funnel the deer uh past me and then leave it alone until i know that the bucks that i'm looking for are up on their feet and actually moving during daylight because most of the time they're not even you know your odds of getting one on daylight uh before the rut are, are low you know i i have i see so many guys that show me pictures of bucks and and you know they're chasing these deer and they're all nighttime pictures so they go out and a lot of people you, you know here use use bait uh and there's no i don't have anything against it <clears throat> i don't do it but a lot of guys will have corn you know feeders and stuff out or whatever and they get all these pictures of these really nice bucks I mean, they're gigantic uh, southern west virginia bucks but they're all nighttime pictures and then they go hunt these places and, and i'm thinking well what why is it going to be there in the daylight? You don't have, you know, you got all these nighttime pictures. Why would the buck show up in the daylight? I think what happens is you go in so many times thinking, okay, today's going to be the day that you're leaving, you know, you're disturbing the area, you're leaving your scent, and you're educating the does. I think. Right, right. And when they, when the does figure you out and they move out, guess what? The bucks are going to go with them. And when it, when it does come time for the bucks to be on their feet looking for those does, those does are pulled them somewhere else i think that was my i did the, i did that a lot early on in my career i'd find a good good spot and doze and i thought okay i'm gonna hunt this from now till the rut when the rut starts i'll get that buck well by the time the rut got there i'd already burned out that stand in that area i mean every doe in the in the county knew i was in that tree i mean it's, it's just impossible to not alert them after you know sooner or later they're going to know you're there i would rather have a spot like that know where i'm going to hunt hang my stand leave it alone and then jump in it when the rut is really starting to heat up there for about eight years i was punching my tag within two to three days of hunting really spots yeah i mean and it you know sure i wasn't spending a lot of time in the woods but you know because i you know i, I know a lot of a lot of my buddies was hunting you know every day for weeks leading up to the rut and i was staying home where i was just hunting near my house for a doe or whatever just waiting you know waiting for that that time to hit and uh then jump in the stand man and i, I just I, I really got lucky there for a long stretch and, and uh, was punching out pretty quick let's talk about finding bucks to hunt you said scrapes so you go in let's say when does your guys' season end in west virginia december 31st so when the season shuts down, that's you go back and do the backtracking. I talked to another successful public land whitetail yeah. hunter. He goes back and backtracks bucks in, in good snow, mm -hmm. finds where they like to bed based on the wind, 
He does a lot of scrapes. Uh, he makes his own scrapes. He finds those community scrapes. Mm -hmm. um, are you running cameras year round up there? I'm not. I'm not. And honestly, Dan, you know that that good stretch that I had, I wasn't. I wasn't looking at community scrapes and rubs and you know all that stuff. I just my plan was just bare nuts. Find the does. Find where they're bedding and feeding and they like to hang out find a good tree uh along their trails that i know because of the terrain how it's laying or if there's a, a steep terrain on this side and you know it's going to funnel that buck past me and i just go hunt it and that, that that i had a ton of success doing that and i didn't worry about wind direction honestly never i never hung a stand based on the wind not one time but I, I've had to be a fanatic on scent control. You know, we could talk for 30 minutes on that. But, you know, if you're not going to play the wind, then you can't play the wind here. That was one of my early mistakes. I, I used to read, and I love Bill Winky. I mean, I, I read so many of his articles growing up. and He was always talking about the wind, and I tried to apply that tactic here. And what I learned was the places that the wind was consistent was usually in areas that were easy to get to. Um, because the mountains didn't break up the wind and the wind stayed consistent, but those were places that were just littered with people because it was easy to get to. Okay. You know, it's kind of, kind of like the elk hunting. You got to get here. You got to go sometimes, a lot of times you got to go where it's nasty, it's rough. The wind blows in, in different directions to get on those really big bucks. I, I've never, I've never given any thought to the wind. It, it just, it's just not something that, that you can rely on. Yeah. Especially in the mountains. I, I couldn't agree more. Like. I know my main set, like, uh, wind is awesome first hour and the last hour. Mm -hmm. And that's when I see most of my deer. But mm -hmm. throughout the day, it, it can swirl no matter what. And I'm not in a hole. I'm kind of up on a ridge, but it's still mm -hmm. just super unpredictable. Another thing is baiting's legal in Washington, not in Idaho. So I hunt both for whitetail and I just, I run a really tight funnel mock scrape program in idaho whereas in washington i kind of create like a mock scrape on one side of me and then i kind of create a little bit of a feeding bait mm -hmm. if you will on another side and i kind of have this 90 degree between the two but it's still i've never had a big buck come in and eat food ever yeah uh, i mean I, I i've been on leases dan where there was 30 members and every single guy was running a bait station Right. And for, you know, this, this one particular lease I was on for eight or nine years. Okay. You got 30 guys running bait every year, all the time, getting pictures after picture after picture of these big bucks. And there was probably maybe three to four kill, three to four successful guys each year out of 30. So for me, I just did the math. And I thought, well, if there's this many guys running, doing this, using this tactic. And only three or four at best are, are actually shooting a deer, a, a nice buck over this food. No, there's got to be a different, a better way. And just for me, I just, you know, there's one thing you can, you can, that's absolute out here in the mountains. And that's the, that's the rut, the does. Those bucks will, will find those does no matter what. Like I said, the food changes, cover changes, leaves drop pressure uh all that stuff 
changes, but they they will always find those does. So if I could just find those and, and leave them undisturbed and leave them alone and and then just, like I said, jump right in when it's good, then that's how I found my most success. Definitely. So did you have such a generous late season? Like you have a pretty long season archery-wise. Are you in the stand yeah. here, like coming up next week? Is that a good time for you? Or do you kind of wait for more peak rut? Are you like, how do you attack the best it? times I've, yeah, the best times I've, I, usually when I go to my rut stands is usually around November 9th, the 9th through the 14th. And sometimes the week of Thanksgiving, that that's that small window there where they just, in my area, they're on fire. Before that, if I hunt, it'll be just a general area somewhere that you know close to home or somewhere if i'm on a lease it'll just be somewhere that i'm you know i'm not planning on hunting during the rut Uh, maybe it's an area that i'm i'm looking for for the next year you know and i'm just kind of in this area looking to see if i can find the does and see if they're moving through a spot And, and if so start you know make a note of that and then come back after the season or just kind of play around in there and hunt different spots yeah, around the 9th of November is when I really start going at it and missing a lot of work. <laughs> I know all about that. So when it comes to kind of wrapping up your season, will you still hunt till like December 31st or at some point do you, it's just not worth it? No, I had no, there's been day, there's been years, man. I've I've hunted on the last day of the year. It just depends, you know, if I've if I've uh, obviously the tactic that I use with, you know, I put all my eggs in one basket and that's for the rut. So if I'm not successful, then it gets pretty tough on me. You know, I think feeders can be really good, you know, whatever kind of feed you're using. Uh, some guys got areas where they can actually plant, uh, some late season stuff. But if I don't kill during a rut, you know, like I said, it gets really tough for me. So, but I do go out I mean, if I haven't killed, I, I will go out and yeah, and still hit it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. So let's talk yeah. about a little bit of technical archery and then finish on hunting industry stuff. Dude, so you, you've you shot a lot of different bows for a lot of different manufacturers. Like you, you've been pro staff with a lot of different bow manufacturers. Yeah. Where are you at these days? And then take us through kind of your setup a little bit. Let's get nerdy on kind of what you're using, everything from release <laughs> aids to to what your bow you're going to rock this year. I shot Matthews, man, forever. I mean, when they when they first came out, I, I started shooting for them. And then when I got into writing, I got connected with, with someone in the, in the marketing department. I did a lot of work uh, kind of behind the scenes with them and just writing wise and content. I eventually got on with Matthews as just a pro staff, just for the writing aspect. Last year, I, I, I kind of stepped away from Matthews um, for no reason other than just, you know, branching out and trying something different and meeting different people and within the industry, you know, it really didn't have anything to do with uh, the Bose performance. I mean, we all, you know, everybody knows that they make a, a great, a great product. I shot Bowtech this year. Uh, really like those. Um, and then recently I, I signed on with Prime Archery. So I'm actually uh, with them and their pro staff now, um, just from the writing aspect. And, you know, so I've got about a week with this uh, with this new rig, CT3. I, I try not to be sound biased because you know 
yeah, I'm shooting a prime now, so all I'm going to do is say good things about it. But I've had about four or five days, you know, under my belt with this bow, this rig, and it's, uh, I would say it's probably the most stable uh, setup I've had. And I don't know if it's just where I'm getting older. I mean, I turned 48 on Saturday, and I don't know if it's where I'm getting older and I, I don't hold the bow as steady as I once did. But it seems like my pin movement has been more erratic than it's ever been, you know, over the past couple of years. But this, this bow seems to settle into my hand, uh, really good. Um, anybody that looks at their, their, their stuff, the first, the thing that jumps out that prime tries to do is, is, uh, build a stable rig, you know, that's, that's different than all the other bows that's out there. Of course, they got the two cams on each end. Uh, but I, I don't know if all that plays into, me being more steady with this bow or if it's just in my head i haven't had enough time under my belt with with it to to fully know if it's if it's the bow or just me um but right now that's that's what's what i'm doing i'm shooting the prime i was shooting iron wheel broadheads phenomenal head it's a it's a top end broadhead i mean it's for you know i guess the th- you know their their idea is if you're going to spend thousands of dollars to go on a hunt why buy you know why use a a $20 broadhead. So they, they, you know, they, these, these, their broadheads aren't cheap by any means, but they right. are, they're the real, they're the real deal. I mean, I've shot them for a couple of years and, and they are tough as a tank and fly like a dart. Um, but moving over with prime, I'm shooting their stuff. Uh, they, of course, G5 and they make, they make some great broadheads. I've actually been playing around with the Montex this week and I've, I've got them shooting out to 60, like a, you know, like a laser. Good, good, so, yeah. What yeah, about I mean, arrows, it, man? Like, you build your own arrows, obviously. So, what what have you found that's going to work for best for you right now? I'm using a, a gold tip airstrike this year, and I'm using four fletching. Really? Um, yep, yep. I'm using a AAE vein, mm-hmm. and uh, using four fletching, and man, they just they fly great. I mean, it's just really, really good flight out of it. Uh, I haven't had any any sort of tuning issues with the broadheads, uh, even with the iron wheels, they, of course, you know, a lot of that goes back to the, the broadhead, but I mean, I try to square up when I, when I get a bare shaft, I square up both ends of the arrow, you know, I, I flag, you know, of course I fletch my own, uh, using the four fletch and I, I, I just started using AAE veins this year and man, I just love them. I think they, in my opinion, they're probably one of the best on the market. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, every, you know for years we everybody shot the really small vein, and I'm not bashing other companies. I, I don't want to do that, but you know we all shot the really short, small vein, and they did really good. But I went back to a longer vein and and four, and it just seems to work for me. So, and like I said, I I got this new rig and switched right over, took my same arrow that I was shooting out of that Bowtech and put it in this Prime. I never didn't change anything except the broadhead and the bow, and it. I had no tuning issues at all. I mean, it, the Montex were flying great, and uh, we'll see. I might mean, need a little more time under my belt with it, but right now that it's, it's shooting really good. Yeah, I like that you build your own bullets, man. That's really important. I think everybody should do that. I would not go buy factory arrows with no. that are just you know you got to go figure out what your arrow, what does your bow want to shoot the best, yeah. and you got to kind of tinker yep. a little bit. And that's part of bow mm-hmm. hunting, which I love, man. But I love. It. So you've been in the industry a long time, man. Like at what point do you, let's be honest here. Like at what point do you kind of get frustrated with some of the stuff, the way the industry's going 
Well, what stuff do you try to avoid? Oh, and man. where do you like to see some of the positive energy going? Uh, I, I stay. I, I've been frustrated for a, a while with the industry. I think, you know, when you go to, there's a lot of different areas. Equipment prices. I mean, the, the prices are just going through the roof with this stuff. And, you know, I've got three kids. And I'm thinking, okay, if I want to outfit all three of them to hunt, it's going to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, that frustrates me. I think with this industry and the way the whole world is going, we need as many young people as we can find with a bow in their hand hunting uh, to keep to keep the sport alive, to keep our way of life alive. And it's hard to do when you're, you know, you're pricing this stuff uh, through the roof. I think the thing that frustrates me the most right now is the social media aspect of it. Um, I see a lot of people, and I'm no expert by any means, and I'm not the the authority on anything, but I see a lot of people get tons of attention and and uh, from social media who probably, and let's be honest, couldn't tell you the first thing about hanging a stand or 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 you know, a tactic to kill a deer. And it's based all on uh, appearance. I think the industry has moved so far to just how does this look? How does this person look with this pe- with this piece of equipment in their hand? How does this per you know, they can't tell you anything how to use it, you know, effectively. But, man, they look good holding it in their hand, you know. And it, it, I, I see a lot of that on social media, and that frustrates me. I think the first time I re- it really hit me, I went to the ATA show several years ago, and, and the, the hunting industry was, the TV side of it was really blowing up. And there was a line to meet some celebrity hunters uh, forever long. And I go around to the back of the line, and there's a booth uh, next next to these this line of people waiting. And there sits Chuck Adams. He's sitting there by himself, not a soul talking to him. Hmm. And everybody's lined up to see this celebrity hunter who, you know, doesn't doesn't have a lot of knowledge i would i would expect that they could share with you or couldn't tell you anything that would help you i mean it, it i guess it's cool you know if you want you know that side of it you have people on tv and you get to see them and then all that but i mean here's such a, a a living legend a guy that man you could probably sit down and talk for hours you know the stuff he's seen in the places he's been and the animals he's taken and and really get into some really good stuff and not a soul even bothering to, to talk to him that really paints a picture for me i'm just like wow because chuck adams mm-hmm. is like my hero i've met yeah. him a few times we're not on first name basis whatsoever but he's mm-hmm. the real deal i love his he's a great writer his books yeah. and he's a pioneer i mean he's mm-hmm. up there he's not up there with fred bear but he's up there close like he's one yeah. of the original gangsters and if you don't know who chuck yeah. adams is y'all Stop what you're doing, look him up, go order one of his books, and read them. I mean, the guy's lived a life that's unreal, and he's true to his game. I think he still shoots aluminum arrows, man. Like, Yeah. He's badass. But, yeah, I I get that. And, and, you know, a lot of folks have never – like, the Archer Trade Show is a private show, so you can't – general public just can't go in there. I've been to 10 or 12 of them, and I think I started doing the every other year – because I, I was kind of just getting tired of the the hustle and bustle of the ATA. I just want to go catch up with my old friends, the, see guys like you, mm-hmm. work with yeah. the companies that I work with, 
and call it a show. Yeah. But yeah, no, there's some silliness going on there. And holy crap, at one point or another, you had to have like holes in your jeans and maybe like some beads on the back and a fancy oh, belt buckle. I don't, you know, cowboy boots, the, the whole the whole deal. But yeah, yeah, image and all that stuff. I think that fluff will go away. I think, you know, followers, I think companies are going to start to look into followers a little bit more. Because there are guys probably like Chuck Adams. I don't even know if Chuck has an Instagram account. But if he did, he should have all the followers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if yeah, I mean, what are you, what are we doing? I mean, what, why are you, I, mean, I get it. You know, some of it's just eye candy, you know, I mean, that, whatever. But, uh, you know, what are you, what are you, I don't understand what a company would get out of using a, a, a social media influencer who it's just superficial, you know, there's nothing underneath it. Like Chuck Adams. I mean, Chuck might not be, you know, the flashy, you know, type that, that you want to put up on the billboard there. But man, if you dug into that guy's brain, it's hard to tell what you would learn. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, and especially the, on the ladies side, there's a lot of ladies that have huge social media influence, but yeah. what did they have to back it up? I, I, I understand that. Yeah. I mean, I turn my um, I turn my phone off pretty much all September, Steve. Like I don't check nothing, mm-hmm. don't post nothing, and no text, no emails for like literally thirty days. It's the best. And then just last, mm-hmm. just see, just uh, Thursday of last week, my son tried to drown in a hot tub, so I had to like, you know, oh, prob- like rescue him a little bit. And when I did, my phone went in the water, obviously, and I. Mm-hmm. I, I yanked him out and he was fine. My phone was at the bottom and it was a deep hot That's tub. Good. Yeah, he's fine. But my phone was took a crap and it probably took me four or five days to get a new phone and it mm-hmm. was awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, when you disconnect from that stuff and you, and you, you know, the thing that really bugs me the most, Dan, is when you see these young guys post on social media and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is well he's not the biggest buck but you know yeah if dude if you're gonna take if you're gonna take the life of an animal you know that god created and put there in front of you you're gonna take its life you better be proud of that animal i don't care what it is my goal this year is to shoot a small buck and i'm gonna post i'm gonna blow it up on social media like it's the biggest trophy ever. I just want to see how people react. Mm-hmm. I want to see the reaction on people, you know, out of people. Because when I was young, growing up, man, we shoot anything. It was like it was a big deal, dude. It was a big deal. You shoot a, uh, you know, a basket rack buck. Yeah. Now, I know guys that won't even they'll hide their face. If they shoot something like that. Oh uh, yeah, that's I didn't think of that, but yeah, that's true. Shoot whatever you want, man. As long as that meat's going in your yeah. freezer, more power to you. Yeah, I yeah. I get what you're saying, man, and and it's hard to really disagree with that. Um, I think I said this on a podcast not too long ago. I've unfollowed some people that are probably most people do follow, rather than hate on them because they're promoting hunting. That's cool. I just don't follow them on Instagram yeah. or Facebook. I just don't follow them. I don't see that stuff. And I'm just real picky on who I follow. And I think maybe some people might want to pay more attention to who they follow. And if you're, Mm -hmm. if you, if you follow somebody and they inspire you or they motivate you, they educate you or they're interesting right on. And if they, you follow somebody who 
makes you feel negative energy or anything that's not positive, unfollow. Mm-hmm. Game yeah. over. I think that's a big struggle with with people today is is feeling good about themselves. You know, after being on social media for an hour. I mean, my goodness. You know, a lot of people try to compete with these people that you see on on social media and Instagram, and uh, you can't do it. You can't shoot, you know, most, most people aren't going to shoot the, the size of animals that some of these people are, are shooting or live the life that a lot of these people are portraying on Instagram. So it's really hard to come off of it feeling good about yourself and where you hunt and how you live. And, you know, it's good and bad. I mean, you can, you know, you can find influence from, from people like that. And I'm not bashing anyone, you know, like you said, if, if, if this person motivates you, then more power to you. I'm like you. I just, I don't follow it anymore. It's, it's a lot of them. It's gotten to the point where I just can't relate. Well, yeah, you, know? you got to follow people that you relate to people that are in your circle cut from the same cloth that are going to inspire you. And then obviously mm-hmm. like if you're following somebody and it just, you get jealous, man, just remember like their life's not perfect. Nobody's life's perfect. Everybody's no, got struggles. Yeah, but all we do, we only put the perfect stuff on social media. All the other stuff gets left off for most people. Yeah. Most most people don't put the the negative stuff on there. You know, the struggles. You know, I had a, I struggled a lot this year in Idaho. My 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 trip was a struggle, personally, physically it was a struggle. But you know, I, I had a lot going on. Most people don't share that stuff though. Yeah. Well, you have to have your mind straight if you're out in the mountains, or it can be distracting. Do you feel like you were distracted part of your hunt? Oh, yeah. I was distracted, you know, yeah, my whole hunt. I mean, I had, I was gone for two days, and my oldest son uh, had a bad injury in a football game. Um, oh, man. My youngest son, had, yeah, he, my oldest son, Ridge, he dislocated and broke his ankle. Popped it back in place himself. He's laying there on the turf. But you know, so I'm 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 30 hours away. My son's hurt, and my my youngest son Gunner gets hurt in a ball game, and the cat runs away, and uh, just a lot of different other things was, was just falling apart here at home while I was gone. So you know, yeah, it was a struggle for me. Yeah, but the great thing about you know what I love about out west is man, it just it really offers the opportunity i think anywhere in the woods does but especially out west i think it it just gives you the opportunity to do some real soul searching you know oh yes and i did a lot of it on this trip uh just me personally my relationship with god wasn't where it needed to be and that really hit me while i was out there and just but like i said the great thing about that is you know out west it really opens your eyes and gives you a chance to process that stuff and 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 understand what's important in your life. Because when you're on a mountain the size of the mountains I've been on out there, you realize just how small you are. <laughs> yeah. And how insignificant a lot of the stuff that you think is, is important, it really ain't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it, it's tough, but it, it for me, it was uh, it was a good trip. I, love, I, I love that you said that because the, the time with the creator is – you know, it's available to you every day. But yeah. the first thing you get out of bed, like me, guilty as charged, like I'm thinking about coffee as soon as I get up. I get up really early every day to go train and and do yeah. work before kids get up. Kids have changed <clears throat> my game, young ones. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. I got to get up. They'll change it. I got to rise and grind. I got no choice. 
And, uh, yeah. you know, the Bible's right there, but, you know, you, all you got to do is just stop, yeah. slow down, be still. Hard to do, but there was a time, um, not this season, but the season before where I had a lot going on. And I come out of September and I was like, I knew I, I was going to sell my gym and I was going to go mm. do something different besides run a, a gym like I'd been doing for so many years. But, and I knew mm -hmm. I had some relationships that, weren't really positive in my life and yeah. I was like I just need to you know move on move away from those and just focus on keeping a tighter inner circle and I yeah. don't know if those decisions would have been made if I hadn't gone hunting you know what I mean oh yeah oh yeah absolutely I know what you mean I mean it, it it's anywhere in the woods like like you said it, it give it offers you that opportunity but I think for me you know, when I get out west and I just see everything out there and you realize just, you know, how awesome he is to create all this and how little I am and how much I need him in my life. And I, I, I get that. I get a whole, it smacks me right in the face every time I go out there. And that, that's what, that's probably what I love the most about it. Yeah. It's just uh, killing, you know, that that's just, that's icing on the cake. I mean, it, it's... Uh, it's nice if it, if it happens and goes down like that, but there's so many other things out there that that will fulfill your life if you if you allow it, and it doesn't have anything to do with punching a tag, for me. Right. Well, man, you got your stuff. You got your stuff put together pretty well. You're OG in the industry. I pre <laughs> I do. I like that, man. I can always count on to see you and know that you're super down to earth. I guess that's what I appreciate appreciate about you the most is just like Steve's a real guy. I'm gonna go talk to him. Have a real authentic conversation it's going to be great where what so you, when's your next hunt and where can people kind of keep track of you i don't know if you have your own website or a blog or where you where your some of your writing is obviously i think you're on instagram and so and other socials that people can keep track of you but give us a little snapshot of what you got going on the next couple of weeks well right now I'm, my life has progressed right over my hunting career i guess if you want to call it a career but it's progressed into the point now where my my boys are I can see it in their in their eyes, and, and I can hear it in the way they talk. They're they're getting amped up for to get that first you know animal with their bow. So the next couple of weeks, I'm I'm diving into that and, and trying to help them. My, my oldest son gets his cast off Monday, so he might be able to get in a tree stand. But just getting them out, put trying to trying to put an opportunity in front of them. That's what my next few weeks are going to consist of. And then you know we're going to roll into November. Uh, that's when I'm going to try to jump into some good uh, rut stands. The thing about elk hunting, it's I've been so consumed with elk hunting for the past four years that I've kind of put my whitetail stuff on the back burner. Oh, yeah, I know uh, that program. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I've let elk consume every thought in my head. So I really honestly, you know, I'm just now to the point where I've decided this year, okay, I'm going to get really back into this this deer hunting the way I was four years ago before elk took over my life so yeah that you know just putting opportunities in front of my 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 boys and and then hopefully finding something during the rut and then when the season's over just get back at it the way i used to and uh try to start building on next year yeah I, i'm on i'm on instagram mountain bow hunter uh I, I try to share a lot of stuff that's going on with me on there I'd like to start really riding again heavy this, this upcoming year. Like I said, I've kind of 
took a little bit of time away from it, uh, just to focus on my, my family. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to see what I'm doing, just hop on Instagram and find me and, uh, you know, shoot me a message. And I, I love to chat about bow hunting. Cool, man. Anything, anything, you know. We'll keep on keeping it real, brother. I appreciate you and thanks for your time. My, and I want to, I'm just, it was oh, an excuse it. to talk to you, man. I, we haven't caught up in a while and I hope to see you in uh, January at uh, ATA. I think it's in Indianapolis again this year. So we'll go, we'll have to connect over there if you're going to make it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go. And like I said, I, I always enjoy talking to you, Dan. I feel the same way. You know, you're a down to earth guy. You're one of those guys that I can stop, you know, when you, when you're at the ATA and you see all of these people, you know, you're one of those guys that, that uh, you can have a real conversation with and know that what's, what's coming from you is, is coming from your heart and, and it's, it's truth and there's nothing behind it. And it's just good conversations about uh, what we both love to do. You yeah. Know, so I appreciate that. I appreciate that about you. And I, I really appreciate you having me on. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an honor for just an old hillbilly like me, man, you know. <laughs> I'm just hanging out in West Virginia, so any any opportunities like this, I get to kind of poke my head out and say, hey, you know, I'm over here doing this. I appreciate it. It's, it's fun. No doubt, man. Well, good luck with the boys. Enjoy. Uh, thanks for staying up late and uh, talking to me. And I'll uh, <laughs> see you in maybe uh, 2020, brother. All right, man. Hey, I wish you the best the rest of the year, and uh, I hope everything works out the way you want it to. Yeah, likewise. I'll probably see you in January. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com and if you're like me you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. all right guys that's an episode stay tuned for next week we're going to bring on our 100th episode can't wait for that thanks for your time give us that five-star review look out for a hoodie if you're one of the five lucky 
Check out the Elk Shape Camps. Be on the lookout for the 90 Days to Freedom Shoot Straight. And I appreciate your time. Have a great week. Take care.